Oh man, here we go back with another one. Yes, 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 we are back. Make sure you subscribe to become part of the tribe. Do us right, hit that like and comment if you're rocking with the content. Now, mm -hmm. we have a very special guest in the building. We do, yes, we do. And as we always say, he's the most recent. So he's the most special. So he's the most special. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, we have a very, very special guest, uh, an educator, professor, um, a lawyer, mm -hmm. civil rights aficionado, mm -hmm. and just an overall great man. And we're going to dive into his life uh, and, and what he's done over his career. Right. We've got Dr. T.J. Davis. Not in the building, no. But he's in a he's building in. somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes, that's correct. How are you doing? How are you doing, Doctor TJ? I, I'm I'm doing well. Okay. So um, let let's let's just let's just dive right into it. Um, you are a educator at ASU currently, correct? Well, yeah, I'm I'm retired from university, but I was at the university for a quarter of a century. Okay, um, you you have a background um, in law and civil rights history. Um, let's let's start with the civil rights part of it. Um, what let's take it take you back to your earlier years um, as you were growing up. What made you really want to uh, pursue the, the the avenues that you did as far as being a lawyer, being a civil rights historian? What what got you into that? accident okay <laughs> i mean in, in part it's the accident of life so uh you asked me about the law and civil rights my, my initial response to that was <laughs> walking down my street okay um i grew up in new york city okay um formative years in, in the south bronx um it was a place where only white policemen patrol the streets uh -huh. Um, I could look out my window. I, I remember specifically one day looking out my window on 163rd Street and this white cop decided that he would chase uh, one of the guys. He pulls out his weapon mm. on the street, mm -hmm. broad daylight, middle of the day, people on the street. He pulls out his service weapon and he's chasing this, this kid. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, someone here is crazy, right? right? Someone here is wrong. Right. Um, I don't know what the kid had done, but he's fleeing. He's not a threat to anybody immediately. Uh, the threat is, is this police officer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, and that's not really an isolated incident. No. Um, I have great respect for the, the people in blue who serve and protect. Um, but in the world in which I lived, uh, I don't know who the police were serving, but those of us in the community were certainly not sure that they were serving us right. or protecting us. So about, about how old were you when, when that happened? Oh, uh, if you can remember. I don't know. Somewhere between ten and fourteen, maybe. Okay. Okay. So, so early teens. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that's sort of a shorthand way to say that um, 
<laughs> I, I just left because um, you guys are probably familiar with, I mean, this is before your time, mm -hmm. but we had these riots back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And President Lyndon Johnson decided that he'd have this commission uh, and they wrote a report. Mm -hmm. The report came to be called the Kerner Commission Report, Otto Kerner, governor of Illinois, who subsequently had, had to go to prison. But that's beside the point. <laughs> um, the report had a line that has always stuck with me. And it said that, uh, and this is a rough quote, sort of a paraphrase. The United States is tending toward two societies, one black, one white. And I'm thinking, where have you been? This is not tending toward, <laughs> this is existence. This is what has existed, right? Right. And so the little anecdote I gave you about uh, the police officer on the chase was um, a reiteration of my understanding from a very early age Okay. that um, <laughs> there were at least two societies yeah. that were separate and unequal. Mm -hmm. And um, the, that sense of uh, systemic wrong, mm -hmm. I, you might say, is um, a theme that, that propelled my, my interest in law and um, in doing civil rights law. Um, so. Okay. So, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, where, where about of school did you uh, start uh, your, um, uh, like, what colleges did you go to uh, starting your career out? Okay, so um, I, I went to Fordham College, College of Arts and Sciences at Fordham University, which is in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, I went from Fordham to Columbia University. Um, I got my law, de law degree at the University of Buffalo. Okay. So, and I have a master's in journalism from a place in Indiana called Ball State University. Okay. So, Talk to us about early on as you're getting into um, civil rights. And I want to stick with the civil rights thing. Early college years um, are, are very, very important, right? Um, life is changing. You're, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. Um, and yet you're living in this world where, like you said, things are, are separate and unequal. Um, and, you know, you, you, I'm, I'm guessing and I'm, that you kind of have this feeling of I, I want to do something. Um, what was your early experience with civil rights movements um, where you were in New York where, as you were starting to become a young adult? Well, um, those are sort of separate. OK, because I, I was a day student at college. Right. Okay. So um, I'm taking the bus to campus and taking the bus home from campus. Okay. It's two different worlds. Okay. Right. right. Two, two, two different worlds. And so um, at home in a black neighborhood, black Hispanic, not, you know, so, um, and, and this is, this is the, the early sixties and um, you know, my guys are picketing White Castle. Um, we're on a sort of uh, don't trade where you can't work. Okay, okay. Um, 
I, you know, it's it, so, I mean, there's that part of my life. Right. So the other thing I'd like to say is that I started the show earlier, or maybe it was before we went live, but an accident, <laughs> you know, accident was not, it's not a throwaway because in the sense that I know there are people, I've taught persons who um, have a clear idea from a very early age what they want to be, what they're going to do, okay? Right. I went to law school with guys uh, and, and women who um, their fathers or mothers were lawyers. Um, they, the family had a law firm. They knew what they were going to do, right? Okay. That was not me. Okay. okay. All right. So um, it, it's, I say each step in my career, the progression really has been um, opportunities open. Okay. And um, I found myself doing stuff. Uh -huh. um, and in that, I have to say that um, God has blessed me abundantly. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. So um, I, I, at no point in my life ever sort of sat down and said, in five years, this is what's going to be. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'd say, certainly in my early years, I never did that. Okay. Toward the end of my career, I certainly said, you know, in five years, you will not be doing this. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. <Yeah. laughs> but, but, um, but early on, um, things just happened. So on the civil rights issue, I, I spoke to you about the, uh, the riots and um, disruption. And so um, one of the things that, uh, Lyndon Johnson did was to create the so-called Great Society program, right? Okay. And, and part of that was um, a, a series of community-based programs where there were um, community representatives to sort of what we call anti-poverty councils or uh, council against poverty. Okay. And so um, I had the opportunity uh, to serve under both uh, Mayor Robert Wagner Jr. and uh, Mayor Lindsay okay. on um, the Anti-Poverty Council in New York. Okay. Um, so I mean, essentially, uh, I, I think of myself looking back, I, I, I'm this kid, literally, mm -hmm. um, I'm sitting on this council with some heavy hitters in New York. Right. I mean, people from Wall Street, really heavy hitters. Right. And um, I'm representing my community. And it, it occurred to me, and I, I told you about the sense of the separate and unequal, mm -hmm. but we're discussing programs, sort of what to do. And um, I think I think the original council had something like 28 members on it and um, four or five of us were black. Wow. Uh, a couple of representatives from Brooklyn uh, were black. Um, and in any case, the point I'm going to here is that 
these folk outside of black representatives really had no idea of what was going on in the community. Right, right, right. right. And so they're talking about programs um, that don't reach the people. Right. Okay. Right. Um, it, which is a theme that, well, was the theme is a lesson that uh, stuck with me <laughs> sort of forever. Okay. And as, a, as an aside to that, um, I, I sort of worked my way through school and uh, <laughs> did a variety of jobs. And um, I remember one particular place, I, I worked for a nationwide corporation and um, they decided to, to bring in a consulting firm okay. to figure out how the workers should do their job. Okay. 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 And so, you know, they came around and, and sort of looked around, you know, a walk through a couple of hours and they were gone and they came back with this report. Okay. And so I was a manager and um, I talked with my folk about this. I said, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, what do you think? And we got the report and um, every section had this little tear out, right? Okay. This is what you're supposed to do. When you come in the morning, you do this, you do that. And to a person, everybody just laughed. Okay. Right? <laughs> right. And so one of my guys said, listen, Mr. Davis, here, here it is. You can either have us do our job or we can do what it says on this piece of paper. <laughs> the two things don't come together. Okay. And and that's a long way of my saying that <clears throat> so often the people who know, the people who are doing the job day in and day out are not the people who get asked about the job, right? Right, right. right. Very mm -hmm. true. Very true. And so... Um, <laughs> I, I tried to explain to my supervisor, I said, you know, listen, I don't know what you paid these guys, the consulting firm to do this, but this, <laughs> this is not working. Right. So <laughs> either you can let me loose and, and let my people do what they do, mm -hmm. um, or I don't know what's going to happen because right. this, this is not a scheme that actually works. Right. And let me segue into something else on that. Um, yeah. Back from the 60s also. One of, my, um, one of my coworkers, one of my employees had an accident on the job. Okay. okay. She was hurt and she went out on workers' comp. On workers' comp in New York, you go down to, um, I everybody called it the welfare department. I don't, I don't recall now what the actual name of the department was since she went right. down. Okay. And um, they fixed her up with a package. She had two, she was a single mom. Mm -hmm. She had two sons. Um, one was a 16, 17 year old teenager. The other was about eight, right? Okay. So, um, She's out and um, she comes in and we talk 
And at the same time, I'm having a conversation with uh, the, the district supervisor because we were always short-staffed, mm -hmm. okay? Okay. And uh, there, I'll take another uh, quick, quick diversion. We were always short-staffed. And I wasn't arguing with the district manager, but I was trying to help him understand some things, right? Okay. And he would talk about people being lazy and not wanting to work. And I was saying to him, you know, these are hardworking people. Uh -huh. And considering what you are paying, <laughs> you should sort of be grateful <laughs> that anybody shows up for work because, I mean, you, you're paying minimum wage. Right. So back to, uh, to the, the young woman who, who went out. She came in and we sat down and she said, you know, Mr. Davis, I don't, I don't think I'm coming back. Okay. I said, well, um, are you healing up? You know, how, everything all right with you? And she said, you know, it, it's, it's not that. It's that considering what I'm now getting from public assistance, um, I'm making as much as I did when I came to work. Mm. But being at home now, I'm able to see my son, my younger son out in the morning. I'm able to give him breakfast. I'm able to be there when he comes home. I'm able to look out the window and see how he's doing. Yeah. And you know, my older son, um, he, he was at that age, 16, 17, where I was really worried about him because I wasn't there to keep an eye on him. Right. Mm -hmm. they, right. Right. And so she said, listen, um, you know, after taxes and the it it this it doesn't make sense for me right. yeah. to come to work. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. So my district supervisor is is in and he's looking at, at my paperwork and he's saying, well, you know, uh, she's not coming back to work. And I said, well, you know. No, um, she is situated well in her family situation. It's, it's, it's better for her. And he went off on this thing about uh, lazy people and people, uh, welfare queens or whatever. I said, no, 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 just, you, you have to stop that, right? Just, right? just stop that. If you paid her a wage, that allowed her to take care of all of her responsibilities, then she would make a different choice. Yes. Right. But considering the fact that you're not paying her a living wage and she has to scuffle and do all of this stuff. No, I mean, no, so don't, don't, don't start bad mouthing her mm -hmm. and, and don't bad mouth the social network. Right. That provides for this. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> We had heated words because he 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 was um, he was upset with me. And on that, you you, you asked me about my career. Um, one of the things that I will say to you is that you can look at me on the screen and you notice that I'm an African American person, right? Of course. So, and I expect that both of you have perhaps had this experience in your lives. People take a look at you and they assume what you're gonna say or how you're gonna be on a particular issue, right? Very true. Mm -hmm. So um, part of my heated exchange with 
my district manager at that time was, you know, you, you're dismissing my comments because you just think that I'm black and I'm taking up for uh, other minorities. No, no, that, that's not it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the question is not here. The question is not on the face of it, race. Your comments are about race, mm-hmm. but her situation is not about race. Mm-hmm. Her situation is about what's right in the in the workplace. Right. And, and so you can imagine that <laughs> that the give and flow in that conversation was, uh, shall we say, a little testy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's oh, crazy because yeah. I I feel like that's still happening today. You know, where mm-hmm. um, unfair wages, in a sense, or people aren't getting the correct wage that, you know, for the job that they are doing um, and they get, you know, something happens at the workplace and that does happen a lot. I mean, I see it where even I'm at right now, you know, and I'm sure, you know, we all can. And I I feel like that's a still a big problem, even from years ago, even to, to this, to this day, you know? Well, I got into employment and labor law exactly because of that. Okay. okay. And, and again, um, there are people who actually work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, particularly physical laborers. Mm-hmm. But you can go into any, uh, any workplace and see who's actually doing the work, right? right. right. What we might call the heavy lifting. Right. right. And then you can look at the pay scale in that particular situation and see who's at the bottom of the pay scale, right? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) over the years, I've asked the question, uh, because what happens is that people think, observers often say that, well, no, those people who are doing the heavy lifting, they're replaceable, right? Right. Or what I often hear is anybody could do that job. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and to which my response is, no, anybody can't do that job. Right. And as a matter of fact, can you do that job? Right. And the answer is no. Yeah. And so uh, on that, um, <laughs> teaching U.S. history, uh, we have this thing, American Negro slavery, right? Mm-hmm. And you read um, the commentary and they talk about enslaved persons as unskilled labor, right? Right. Right. So I used to help my classes. Um, I would take in some sugarcane. You know, we we used to be able, sugarcane used to be in the grocery store, right? Right, Mm -hmm. right. You could go get a stalk of sugarcane. And you know how hard sugarcane is, right? It's like bamboo. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And um, I didn't have any machetes, but I would bring in um, a weight, okay? Okay. And I'd pass it out in the classroom and I'd say, okay, here here it is. Sun up, you go out and you start hitting these things with the weight, right? Mm -hmm. And you're gonna work from sun up to sundown. You're gonna get a mid-afternoon break but this is what you're going to do. So how long do you think you're going to last, right? Right. right. <laughs> you know, because right. just sw- swinging the weight, 
Mm-hmm. Right, just just the repetitive movement. Don't right? hit anything, right? right. Don't hit and just swing the weight um, to help them understand that not anybody falls out into the field and does this. Right. When we look at rice cultivation uh, in places like South Carolina and Georgia, right, right, right. the staple crop. They imported folks from Africa who had knowledge of rice growing culture to do that. Right. But at the same time, your commentary, you are teaching people that the folks who are doing this work have no skills. Right. I mean, you know, what, there is a disconnect here mm-hmm. <laughs> that somebody needs to pay attention to mm-hmm. because it speaks to. Uh, the basic dynamic of workplaces and who, who's getting paid and who isn't. Right. I read a stat the other day. Um, you're familiar with the fact that presently we have the so-called great resignation. Where the argument is that people can't find folks to fill jobs and blah, blah, right. blah. Right. And wages are going up. Okay. <laughs> wages are going up. And in some places, the beginning minimum wage is going to be $15 and change, right? Right. Since 1968, the average CEO compensation at U.S. corporations has increased 1,200 plus times, right? 1,200 plus times. Wow. The average worker you want to guess whether they've increased 1,200 plus times? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a lot less than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's um, anyway, it, it's it's much. Do do you think do you think that is a direct indirect relation to slavery? Like the way the wages have like, do you think that? corporations didn't pay people as much because as as black people started to get more integrated into jobs um and to different and just in jobs in general that they were normally the ones that were being hired i mean especially when you look at like factory work in the midwest do you think that was a in direct correlation to um the slavery and the ending of slavery well until you put that last part on about the ending of slavery, I, I right. thought I had an answer. Right, right. So, okay, so, okay. So let me say this, I think sort of in three parts. First, um, the, wage situ- the wage employment situation in America mm-hmm. has always been bifurcated by race and gender. Okay. And so, uh, for a long time, there was Negro work mm-hmm. or Black work, and then there was women's work, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, quote, ideal person in the workplace was a white male, which was the ideal person in society, right? Right. And that was the, literally the guy who got paid. Right. Whatever he was doing, <laughs> he was top dog. Right. All right. So... Um, Back to who's replaceable, Um, back to who is scrambling for the crumbs. 
I mean, that's an imposition of, of the capitalist system. Okay. Okay. So there, there's a, a Negro wage, there's a women's wage, and then there's right, a white man's wage. Mm-hmm. And in 2022, right, white women, right, take race out of the equation, white women are making about 23 cents an hour less or 23% less than white men are making. Right. Right. Okay. And that's just about a gender difference. Right. Okay. Has nothing to do with the job. Right. So we have this equal pay for equal work, which has never been the case. Right. I, I hope one day it gets to be the case, but we've been pushing at this for quite a while and we've had some incremental changes, mm-hmm. but not much. So interestingly, I, I was speaking to you about how CEO compensation has increased you know, 1200%. One of the things I know is that increasingly, although still small, we get women like Mary Barra at Ford, right? She's the CEO. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and look at what she makes, as opposed to what her predecessor, a white male makes, there's still a gap, right? Mm-hmm. Now, she has the same title, she's doing the same job. Mm-hmm. One would think that her, her salary should, should be the same. Right. Um, and back to my experience uh, in employment and, and, and labor law. So, you, you look at the payroll at a particular place mm-hmm. and you see job titles and you see pay grades, right? Mm-hmm. Most places have ranges yeah. for a pay grade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to know anything, but you just look down the payroll and and you wonder why somebody who's in um, category A, right? Mm-hmm. And you see what the pay range is and you see that there are folks at the top of the range and you see people at the bottom of the range. And the guys at the top of the range are all guys and they just happen to be all white. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and the folks at the bottom of the range Right. <laughs> or not white. <laughs> and they're not guys. <laughs> right, right. But see, that's an accident. Right. And if you talk to the people who, who are running the place, uh, they'll tell you that. That th- this is just what you know what 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 people do. Mm-hmm. So um back to your comment about about slavery. Mm-hmm. The United States is a nation that has grown from immigration. Mm-hmm. If you look at the progress of immigration, you note something significant about the flow regionally. Where were immigrants going? Well, before 1865, they were shunning the South for the most part. Right. They were flung into some places like New Orleans. Um, but they were shunning 
the Georgias, the Alabamas of the world. Right. Why? Because they didn't want to compete with slave labor. Right. Okay. Right. Now, check out this statistic. Okay. In 1860, the South, meaning the 11 states that seceded, plus the four states that did not secede, the so-called border states, mm-hmm. all the states that maintained slavery as a group, were the richest region of the United States. Okay. In 1865, at the end of the war, they became the poorest region in the United States. You might ask yourself, why? Why was that the accounting metric had to change because 40% of the South's wealth was in the bodies of enslaved people, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. They had been counted as property. Right. Well, after the 13th Amendment, they could no longer legally be counted as property. Right. Okay. Right. So um, <laughs> this issue about who's on top and, and who's the bottom rail does reach back to, to slavery. Okay. And the fact that emancipation, that great jubilee, turned these nearly 4 million persons out without a job and without any possessions, right? Right, right. right. Because they could own nothing. Right. At law, right? right? Mm -hmm. So so literally when they walked off with the clothes on their back, they were stealing, right? Right. They were taking that which did not belong to them. Right. And so where I would go with that is that when we look at the criminal statutes in the United States, mm-hmm. particularly in the Southern United States, mm-hmm. those do all reach back to slavery and control of enslaved persons about, well, <laughs> you can't have that. Right. And if we look at the economic development of the United States, we see how that plays out in the sense that minority persons have always been in a situation of disinvestment, which is to say that when they get something, it's taken away. Right. right. And the prime example of that would be American Indians, mm. right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> this stuff is continually taken away. Mm-hmm. And if you go back uh, 30 years when we just started with Indian casinos, mm-hmm. the, the, the argument was, they shouldn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. They, they shouldn't have that because they're going to have stuff we don't have. Right. Mm-hmm. And here in Arizona, that continues to be a sore point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Very the much. whole gambling issue and the fact that Native American casinos can do things that others outside the reservations are unable to do. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> So I want to talk to you about what's recently been happening um, with the education system. Uh, 
and I forget the term that that this has been rolling around. I haven't seen it in a couple of weeks, but um, basically oh, critical race theory. Critical race theory. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your What are your feelings um, about 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 that in general? I'll I'll just let you talk about it and, and what you think about what's going on. Well, it, it, first, we have a highly polarized society. Mm-hmm. More polarized now than for a very long time. Okay. Right. And so the the size, the the polls, right? People at the polls. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, from one poll particularly, like to seize on things, like to seize on terms for their own benefits. Right. Okay. And that's what's happened with what's called critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that uh, many of the commentators, the people who are writing about this and speaking about it on television and the rest, don't have a clue about what critical race theory is. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. They're talking about critical race theory being taught in classrooms, which is basically nonsense outside of universities and particularly law schools, because okay. that's that's where critical race theory came from, Okay. right? It, it's a theory that was developed by um, a, a, a black Harvard law professor, Derek Bell, um, as a way to unravel concepts about the development of US law and society. Okay. So it, I, I would invite the critics to go into any classroom, secondary school, primary school, most colleges, and see if they could identify this thing that they say is rampant. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because to put it very simply, what they're talking about is nonsense. Okay. Okay. Now, on the other hand, and, and in fact, um, Earlier today, I, I read this thing from, uh, there's an organization in, based in Arizona called the Goldwater Institute, okay. which is a conservative think tank, action group, whatever. And they, the, the head on the commentary from the group was Marxism leaking into classrooms with a hidden agenda to change America, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was saying to myself, well, I, I'm, you know, like with critical race theory, I'm not sure these people know what Marxist theory is. Mm-hmm. I mean, people like to talk about Marx, but they've never read Das Kapital or the Communist Manifesto. So in, in short, as often the case, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. But on the agenda to change America, I'm saying that's absolutely true. And it's true because America needs changing because there's a lot that's wrong Mm -hmm. and it needs changing. Now, what I would do is I'd strike out hidden. It's not hidden. And what you're arguing about is you don't like the way people are talking about change. Yeah. And that goes back to the fact that in fact, you don't like the change in the American population. Right. You don't like the fact that 
those who identify as white or European are rapidly becoming a minority in the nation. Right. You don't like the fact that more and more people don't speak English as a first language. Mm-hmm. You don't like the fact that we have not a homogeneous society, but a heterogeneous society, right? Um, those facts are not hidden. Those are facts you don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. So back to critical race theory and the teaching of U.S. history is you don't want U.S. history to be taught truthfully and accurately, yeah. right? You don't want to have a discussion of American Negro slavery. You don't want to have a a forthright stand-up discussion about what happened to the Native American peoples. You don't want to hear about policies of genocide. You don't want to... I think I lost you a little bit. Long walk. You don't want to hear, don't want to hear about the homelands of people being burned down. Okay. So, doctor, I'm lo- Doctor Doctor Davis. I'm losing you a little bit on my on my end. I don't know. Give me a second here. I think. You guys with me? I I, I, I can Are hear. Are you with me? I can hear. I I I I, I think that. Um, I, I was becoming a little too something there and, and I got cut out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the people in charge did not want to hear that. Yeah. Very, very much. Um, hold on. Let me just make sure the connection's good. I think we're good. I think I got you now. I'm still here. I don't. Yeah. Little. Delay. Okay. All right, I think we're good. Seems fine now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So somebody, somebody was messing around in the matrix, right? For sure. No, no. Now your audio has gone out. My our audio has gone out. Okay, you you back. You back. Okay. okay. All right. I think we're all right. I think we're good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Make sure. Um. I, I want to ask on, on, on some things you need to speak softly, right? Yeah. So, so that you don't get cut out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, for sure. So let me ask you, what do you think about, um, what, what are your opinions on, on some things? What are some things that are different? Um, some changes, some positive changes that you've seen throughout your life and career as far as civil rights goes that are happening today, that are occurring today? And what are what are some of the uh, similarities to some of the, the negative things that were going on, you know, earlier in your, in your career in life that you're still seeing today as well? So first, the point is that when we look at human rights or equal rights, mm-hmm. it's a continuum, right? Uh-huh. It's not an issue of we are one day going to overcome right. you know, that day, right. okay? Right. Because going back in 64 and 65, when we got the Civil Rights Act of 64, you know, the Voting Rights Act of 65, people were talking about, okay, 
And that's what you hear today from the conservative side. Listen, so you, you got what, what you asked for. Can you be quiet and go home now and, and everything is good? And the answer to that is that, no, <laughs> that was a way station, right? Mm -hmm. That was a point along the way. That was not the end point because there really is no end point here. Agreed. So you asked about progress. And the thing is, there has been tremendous progress. Uh -huh. And the answer to that is there haven't been enough, right? There has not been enough. Right. So, um, I mean, you, you can see, or I can see progress all the time. I turn on the television and I see people who look like you. Uh -huh. Right, because if you go back to the '50s and you look at the at, at shows, what was on? Right? Black people <laughs> did not have shows. Right. Okay. Right. And so we have this continuation of firsts. Okay. Yeah. Right. You've got the the Nat King Cole show for 15 minutes, a first. Right. Um. So I me. Mean, Across the visual landscape of America, it's changed. You see blacks in advertising. You see minority people everywhere, not just in the kitchen or in the janitorial spaces, right? Right, right, okay. right. All right. So um, none of that is to be dismissed. On the other side, um, well, I, mean, I guess it, in a sort of simple sense, um, I taught in Louisiana in the 1960s, okay? Okay. And I remember going from New York down to, to Louisiana and- um, Which had to be a culture shock. You think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I mean, Hey, I don't know what gave you that insight. No, really, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I really, I remember um, getting off the plane and going outside and um, seeing what I thought was a caricature of a police officer, uh, literally with the bare belly and and the forty five strapped down on his on his hip, low down on his hip, like a cowboy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, New York cops at the time had 38s, much smaller pistol anyway. Right. Um, where I was going with that is that black people back in the sixties were still being sent to separate entrances to the grocery store, to whatever. And, and I, I could not say so what? Mm. So, y'all don't need to be doing that, right? right. Just don't do that. And right. of course, they, they thought I was crazy. And, and <laughs> that, that's a Yankee N-word, right? Right. The, the boy's just crazy. Right. Uh, he doesn't understand how it is here. How are we doing here? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so um, those things have, have changed. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember pulling into a, a gas station in Mississippi. And um, the, the white attendant who was sitting on his stool refused to get up and serviced my vehicle. And that was back in the days, there was no self-service then, right? So right. Um, 
is a whole world of the, the world has changed. Right. The world has changed. All right. So on the other side of that, when you look at the prison industrial complex in the United States, you have to say, well, you know, things have changed because they're putting more of our folk, more of our men folk, and increasingly more of our women folk. Because if you look at the the growth in prison population, uh, the women's population has grown, it's growing faster than the male population. Uh Um, So the effect of the criminal law system in the United States has always weighed most heavily on non-white persons. Uh And it's weighing even more heavily now. Yeah. and and you know we we often get we get sidetracked. So the discussion about abolish the police okay. has been politicized into a sidetrack, right? right? The issue, in my view, is about protect and serve uh-huh. the whole population. Mm. in the same way. Right. All right? Right. Part of that is also about how you serve and protect. Mm-hmm. All the tasks that are in serve and protect do not have to be carried out by persons who are carrying deadly weapons. Mm-hmm. True. There is a mental health crisis in the United States. 100%. That 100%. people are not paying attention to. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that someone is having a mental health issue does not mean that you need to taser the person. It certainly doesn't mean that you need to throw the person down on the ground, kneel on their neck, or certainly not shoot them. Right. 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 So rather than talking about abolishing the police, we might talk about how we can reform the serve and protect mm-hmm. tasks. Mm-hmm. I like that. Can we have people who understand how to do counseling, right? Right. Mm-hmm. How to diffuse situations. Yeah. I mean, when, when I see um, <laughs> or read stories of a 14-year-old girl who is who's snatched out of a classroom, thrown to the ground, handcuffed, and, and brutalized by a police. I'm, I'm thinking, how was that necessary? Right, right. Mm-hmm. The, the issue here is that a whole lot of trip wires have been tripped in this situation. Right. And <laughs> we as a society need to pay attention to that. And it's, it's not retreating to the polls, mm. saying blue lives matter, right? Mm. We, whatever the police do is okay. Mm. No, that's, <laughs> that, that's not a solution right. to real world problems. Right. How are we gonna deal with real world problems uh, is the question. And so, it's not necessarily a question about taking money from the police. It's talking about 
how you distribute public funds mm-hmm. to meet public needs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a, I have a good friend of mine, Jacob Rayford, who's actually working on that. Um, and it has been for the last two years um, and putting together some things. We're actually going to have him on the show in a few weeks. Um, and he's been, he's been a big advocate of trying to put together um, some, some organizations. Uh, I think he actually has a couple that he's working on right now. So it's, it's, it's great that you say that because I know he's been a part of a, a big movement to try to get people that, and really focus on the mental health and use some of our public workers in a different way um, so we can, you know, help with some of these situations and take, take the police out of it, you know? Um, so it's, it's great that you say that. Did you have some? No. Oh, okay. So I thought you were going to say something. Um, what do you think about social media um, and how that plays? Because media has always played into um, civil rights, human rights. Um, and, but now with social media being so accessible, um, you know, you can just get on your phone and, and get a piece of information, whether it's true, whether it's not, what, what negative and or positive roles do you think social media plays um, in today's, you know, movement for civil rights? Well, communication has always been important, okay. right? Yes, in sir. shaping public opinions and shaping individual perspectives. Right. So the key to the 1950s civil rights successes Mm -hmm. goes back to television. Because before people could see the pictures, they were less likely to believe. Right. Jump to today, whether you're gonna talk about George Floyd or whoever, if people don't have the cell phones with cameras and recording the incidents, people not only don't believe, but people are not held accountable. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So social media <laughs> is, is like anything else. Um, there's a one side and there's another side. Um, what it allows is for something which um, Freedom's Journal, uh, the first black owned operated newspaper in the United States said, we now can tell our own story, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So social media allows, allows for that. Okay. What social media has done in large part is to fragment society further. Mm-hmm. Because if you go back to the 1950s, Uh, There were three major television networks. Uh If you wanted your news, you got it from CBS, NBC, or ABC, Uh right? Uh So in a sense, we were all on the same page in terms of information that we got broadcast. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So we could be in our own bubble, as it were, but there were only three bubbles. I mean, there were three big bubbles. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Today, there are tens of thousands mm-hmm. of bubbles, mm-hmm. and we can all stay in our own little bubble. Mm-hmm. And so we're not having communication. Mm-hmm. 
in a sense, we're having too often indoctrination because mm-hmm. there's no exchange. Mm-hmm. To me, <laughs> that's more than <laughs> very dangerous. Yeah. Um, I don't see a way out of it. Yeah. And, you know, the discussion about what you're going to do with Section 230 and, and holding platforms accountable, I don't see how that works. In a sense, the genie is out of the bottle. Right. And right. you're not going to get the genie back in the bottle. And you're not going to build a bottle that's big enough to hold all the genies, right? Because now right. there's no longer a single genie. Very there are true. lots of genies. Right. Now, on the one hand, you can look at societies like the People's Republic of China, um, and I, who, who I think are the foremost in using their technologies to control what is exchanged in the society, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. I don't see how the, the United States can't get there. I don't think that the United States wants to get there. I, I don't want the United States to get there, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but there needs to be some accountability. And I don't have a solution to how we get to that accountability. Yeah. Currently, you probably have noticed from the news reports that the former governor of Alaska and the one-time vice presidential Republican candidate, Sarah Palin, mm-hmm. is engaged in a trial against the New York Times um, saying that she was, was liable, right? And so um, that reaches back to a U.S. Supreme Court decision, uh, U.S. v. Sullivan, so won't go there with the law. But the issue is that that process is outdated. And when I say that it's outdated is that <laughs> The legal process often takes years to unravel, right? Years to come to a solution. Right. Um, social media, you know, if you talk about what happened last year, nobody no really, can remember. Right. 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 Don't right. know what happened. What's trending, right? Right. Right. What's yeah. trending is not last week. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What's trending was happened. What early happened earlier today. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at things going viral. Um, you can't pull that stuff back. Right. And you can't let, once the image is gone, the image is gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't have an answer to your question about what you do with social media. Mm -hmm. Um, Social media has brought us uh, lots of good things, like allowing persons who don't have quote clout to have influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows you to be where you are and allows me to be here and, and say what, what we're saying. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, who, who's watching? So we used to talk about preaching to the choir, right? Mm-hmm. And so social media, in my view, uh, in terms of podcasts and the rest, pretty much about preaching to the choir. That's true. Okay, and so um, so often, I think that um, people who need to hear stuff are exactly the people who aren't listening. Yeah. To right. that channel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So we, we get lots of reinforcement in our daily lives, uh-huh. but we don't get lots of enlightenment in our daily lives. Very true. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to your change and stuff that we were talking about or what you were talking about. You know, I feel, and you mentioned it too, is the communication part of that. And uh, I know that's why we started what we started doing was because of communication. We wanted to have some sort of communication. We've done stuff on, we're no experts, but talked about mental health and, you know, just all different kinds of talks, uh, uh, topics and, and discussions about relations and relationships. And I really feel that the reason we're not changing or it's hard for us to change, it's hard for anybody to change anything really. When you really kind of think about moving forward, people get stuck into their a rut and go through the motions of same old daily stuff, whether, you know, it could be mundane and just, just stepping out of that. And it could be just something really simple. And so really hard for people to get out of there. But I think communication is, is the key, the key to that. And I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm kind of just piggybacking off of what you just said, because it is true. We tend to preach to the choir. Our audience is our choir. We're preaching to the choir. Very true. And the communication part is so key. And I, you see it just day to day. Like when I walk through my regular job that I have and the lack of communication to get a particular job done falls so flat, so many different times. And it's actually really frustrating to kind of go through this on a continual basis and without people hearing what you have to say you know? Um, so anyway, that's just my little, little, little piece on communication. I just really think communication is so vital to humans in general of just talking to one another. We all have differences. We all have, we have a lot of similarities too with one another, you know? And if we would just open our eyes and kind of see that, I think a lot of people would be in the same boat. We'd be surfing right around in this middle area. Yeah. You know, yeah. Except, and, but everybody wants, for some reason, wants to be pushed all the way off to the sides instead of being somewhere center, you know, left center, right center. You know, what happened to that? You know? So you, you asked me earlier about things that have changed and not changed. And mm-hmm. I want to reach to one of my, um, one of the bugaboos, and that is that when you look at public schools in 2022, mm-hmm. they're more segregated today than they were in 1954. 1954, back to Brown v. Board of Education. Mm-hmm. Almost everywhere, public schools are in a worse circumstance than they were in 2022. I mean, than they were in, in 1954. Okay. In 2022, they're in a worse place. Why is that? Well, in large part is because the the nation, not just communities, but the nation has abandoned public education as a value. True. Very true. Very true. We don't want our children to go to school with those children. Right. All right. Right. And so... um, 
the United States, when you look at its residential grids, is res residentially segregated, right? Yes, very much so. And much of that residential segregation does fall on income. Right. But income also unfolds on race and gender. Yeah. It used to be that public education was, you, you're talking about a central value, something we could all agree to. Well, we don't any longer all agree to it. Yeah. We don't agree to what should be taught in schools. We don't agree who should be in schools. Um, we don't want our money to go to those schools. Right. 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 And that comes back to the to, to the issue of whether you call it vouchers, uh, tax credits, whatever. The the drain is uh, from public schools as an institution is just drained away. And that's not only you know, K through 12, that's also true for public universities. Yeah. Um, so schools are a place where there is at least supposed to be communication and there is definitely interaction, right? right. You know the folks you went to school with. Mm -hmm. And right. for better or worse, they had an influence on you. Mm -hmm. They had an influence on how you think about things and how you think about other folk. Yeah. Right. They allowed you to meet some other folk. When, <laughs> you know, that interaction among groups is largely not taking place yeah. any longer. Yeah. And that's through K through university. Because yeah. while we don't talk about it as such, we have tracking. And the tracking may be actual schools, whether you talk about them as magnet schools or whatever, right? right? right. Or programs within schools. Uh -huh. Or you talk about honors colleges and whatever. However you want to do that, folks are being separated and segregated. Yeah. That's, that's wow. not conducive to a society that has common values. And here we come back to it. We don't have common values. We often use common language, but we don't mean the same thing, right? Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Okay, when we talk about my country tis of thee, mm. we're not talking about the same thing, unfortunately. Yes, right. Okay? Yeah. When we're talking about law and order, we're not talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and when we talk about reform to improve, we are not talking about the same thing. Right, right. right? We're not even in the same room. <laughs> right. We're not. Right. Yeah. We're not. Um, I want to talk about some of your work as a lawyer. Um, you did some, you did pro bono work, correct? Yes. Um, talk about that, um, why you chose. I, I mean, I've noticed, um, especially uh, people who have a civil rights background um, tend to do a lot of pro bono work. And, and obviously it's, uh, I would think because of where you come from, community, uh, but talk to us about your, your work as a lawyer and, and specifically uh, with pro bono work. Well. I, I 
over the years, uh, I did a lot of work with community legal services, okay. which is uh, the basic pro bono um, organization in Arizona and certainly in, in Maricopa County. Okay. Um, I was going to say we used to have something. We, we still have it. It's called uh, le legal aid. There is a federal legal aid program. And if anyone is interested, they can look at the federal budget and see how the budget for legal aid has continually gone down. Mm. All right. Mm. So um, in my perspective, law is a public profession. We get licensed by the public. Right. Um, doctors take an oath to do no harm, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Lawyers take an oath to see justice done. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that to, to you not, not talk about have your day in court, but to get legal solutions, for the most part, you need legal representation. Right. Well, that costs money. Mm -hmm. And so for people who don't have money, if they don't somehow have legal representation, they're cut out of the legal system. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, you started off the program asking me about... Uh, my background, I was talking to you about uh, what, what today people call as the hood. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but one of the things I noticed at the time and looking back on my life and particularly going to school and interacting with uh, folks who weren't from the hood right, right. is that the people I grew up with did not resort to the law to solve their problems for better or worse, yeah, right? Right. Um, and, and another sort of segue, diversion, if you like. I spoke to you earlier about, um, about school and people being disciplined. Um, I'm troubled by what, what's happening in our schools mm -hmm. in terms of discipline. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why you have to call a police officer for a seven-year-old kid. Right, right. Okay. Um, back in antediluvian times, um, you got a note sent home and that was straightened out. You, 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 that, that was straightened out, period. I mean, there, there, right, there, right, there, right. before the discussion about that. It was handled. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there was a, a fracas in the, in the playground, right? Mm -hmm. And there are going to be fracases in playgrounds because kids are kids, and particularly boys are boys, right? Yes. Um, it, you know, two kids have a scuffle. That's not a police matter. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, we used to talk about being called on the carpet, but that's you go down to the principal's office or whatever. Mm -hmm. guidance, whoever it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, a phone call is made to the parents and whatever, yeah. okay? Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and I don't know, somebody's mother uh, is incapacitated and can't care for the kid. Mm 
mm. right? Well, you don't call child protective services to come and snatch the kid into an institution. Even if there are no family in that community, someone sees that that child is cared for. Right. Right? Right. Um, so <laughs> that's a long way of my saying that we have different societies when it comes to the operation of the law. Yeah. When people get drawn into the formal operation of the law, they need formal help. Yes. So, you know, th there I am. Mm. And one of the things I used to say <laughs> is that if I had $100, to dispense or spend for all of, for each of the cases that I handle at community legal services, mm -hmm. I could have solved 99.97% of all the cases that I saw. Right. Because it was things like someone has a job. They have a car that their transportation is running with rubber bands. It's a Friday, mm -hmm. it's payday. Mm -hmm. They need their check. They can't get the car to work that day. Can't get the car to work that morning, right? Mm -hmm. They don't get to work. They don't get the check. Rent is due Monday or right. rent is due later that day, right? Right. Mm -hmm. they, they, they can't pay rent. Landlord wants to evict them because they didn't pay rent or landlord says, okay, you didn't pay rent. I'm gonna charge you late fees. Right. Monday comes, they get into work, they come back, they want to pay the rent and the landlord says, well, you owe another $90 or whatever it is. Well, <laughs> what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah. They're already tapped out, so they're not go going down to one of the extortionate payday loans or whatever. Right, they, they, right. Don't, have, they don't have anything to work with. Right. And... and Going down there is going to put them further in the hole mm -hmm. than not. Okay. Right. So, they, so they come down to community legal services because basically word of mouth, somebody said, well, you know what you should do is go, down is, there. Is go get a lawyer. Right. I don't have any money for a, a lawyer. So so now go down to community legal services. And, um, you know, if, if you're lucky, you can make a phone call. Um, and and get get things sorted out. Right. My point here is that legal services pro bono work is so often about providing an intervention mm -hmm. that keeps people from getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. When there's really no, there's no need for any heavy hitting, there's no need for hitting at all. Right, right. We can resolve this, okay? 
Yeah. We can resolve the problem. Um, and I, I, I will say to you that I got more satisfaction out of handling the cases and being able to provide assistance than I think I provided assistance, okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's sometimes you see things that are wrong and you're able to do something about it. And I mean, there's a, there's a satisfaction. It, 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 forget anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a problem in the house, the, the faucet is leaking, right? right? Right. And you get out the bunking wrench or whatever, and you stop the leak. Right. You feel good about that. Yeah. Right? You feel wow. good about it. Oh, yeah. And and to the degree that you're able to do something for somebody else. Yeah. Um, there's there's a satisfaction in that. Yeah. And the, the notion that, um, to, to put very simply, I mean, all gratification is not derived through money. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm not going to knock money now. Okay. Right. But what I'm telling you is we, we don't need to do everything on a monetary exchange space. Right. Yes. Yeah. Very, Very true. true. Very yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Davis, thank you so much. Um, I would love to have you back on maybe later in the year, um, because I have more notes. Yeah. We got a lot more. I have, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to, I want to let you, uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. And I have a dog that's crying at Mm -hmm. my door right now. So I think he has to go out. Um, but we thank you so much for, for your, your knowledge and your stories. Um, and I hope people get a chance to see this. Um, that really need to see it. And even if they are, even if we are preaching to the choir, maybe we, we, we're preaching something that maybe they didn't know um, already. Um, and, and they can use that knowledge to better their progress in this world and, and in the movement. So thank you so much. Um, we appreciate we appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and thank you. Listen, you should end by telling them what the link is that they can send the link to somebody else. You mean our your link, right? our link, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, you well, want to tell them to hook we'll up? See, we'll <laughs> see. This is the cool thing: is when I when the video goes out, I'll have a list of the links. All right. And then it'll be ready. So okay. I don't know. Do you have any social media? No, I don't. I I I, 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 fig- I figure you were too uh, OG old school for that, you know. There you go. Uh, so all right, I respect it. I, yeah. Hey, all right, I'm not mad at you. you know? I, I, I'll be looking for it in my mailbox. Yeah. Okay, there for sure. Go. All we'll right, man. We'll definitely email it to you. Peace. Thanks again. Yeah. Peace. Peace. All right.